I was about to record the last episode of the fifth season, episode 12, and I was just notified that my second TED Talk was just published. And I thought that this would be a great way to close season five. So instead of having the episode that I planned on recording, I will record that as the first episode of the next season. But in this episode, I will tell you the behind the scenes of developing this specific TED Talk, and I will actually include the original soundtrack for it. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? My first TEDx talk was in 2018, and that was uh, TEDx Oaklawn, and it came when I was writing my eighth book. I wasn't done writing it yet. I was still writing it. It was called Cause of Death, Political Correctness. And what happened was that I got a call from the TEDx organizers, and they heard about me from the organizers of another TEDx event, uh, TEDx Plano, which I was actually on the organizing committee and the host of the first ever TEDx Plano in 2014. So they heard about me and they reached out to me. And uh, we started brainstorming topics because I didn't have any specific topic. After all, I didn't call them. They called me. And then we started talking about the level of civil litigation that we have in the U.S. I don't know if you knew that, but back in 2018, we spent 1.7% of our GDP, our gross domestic product, on civil litigation, which is more than $300 billion a year. And that was amazing. By the way, and if you thought that that was amazing, right now we're spending about 2.3% of our GDP and over $400 billion a year on civil litigation. So we got to talk about civil litigation because that was part of that book, uh, the eighth book, uh, Cause of Death, Political Correctness. And then I asked him a question based on the research that I've done, and I kind of pieced a lot of it together, and I asked him, what if I told you that the level of civil litigation that we have today is caused by a single event that happened one evening 50 years ago? He was intrigued, and that's how I got my first TED Talk. The first TED Talk uh, was called uh, The Day That Forever Changed America. And he did talk about that event. And I did kind of piece it back from the level of civil litigation all the way to that one event. And I'm not going to tell you what that event is. If you want to know, just watch the TED Talk and I'll, I'll put the uh, link to that TED Talk uh, in the comments. The problem was that that TED Talk in 2018 was not directly related to trust. It's kind of indirectly, but, but it wasn't my main topic. And, and I had no TED Talk about trust. And so I applied to several TEDx organizers. But again, the organizer of this event that I just did in 2022 that you'll hear today, 
actually called called me and asked me to present uh, on my topic of trust. Now, if you ask me to talk about trust, I can probably talk for three to five days straight, nonstop, no breaks, without going to sleep. But a TED Talk is about ideas worth sharing. One of the limitations is that it has to be under 18 minutes. Now, have I seen TED Talks that are slightly over 18 minutes? Yes, and somehow they do pass that filter, uh, that screening. Um, but in general, it has to be under 18 minutes. My first TED Talk, by the way, was 15 minutes and 11 seconds. And this second TED Talk that you'll hear today is 13 minutes and six seconds. So it has to be a single idea, a simple idea, both a single and a simple idea, something that's easy to grasp, something that makes you go, huh, interesting. It's not rocket science. And it also has to be actionable. So if you think about a TED event, TED event typically has several speakers. This one had six different speakers. And they go one after the other, one after the other. And, you know, what are you going to remember at the end if you sat through the audience? Now, granted, it's not you're not doing a TED Talk only for the audience. You're getting a video out of it and people will watch your video independent of any other event in that specific TED Talk or, or, or TED event, TEDx event. But still, you want people to get the simple idea that is actionable and something that they can do tomorrow. So I had to think about what differentiates my work, my uh, approach to trust from that of others. And there, there are others. There are other books that were written about trust and mine is different. So I had to ask myself, how, how is mine different and why would that be worth sharing, an idea worth sharing? So... First of all, I do believe that I'm the first person to look at trust as being relative, which, by the way, is uh, ended up being the title of this TED Talk, The Relativity of Trust. Trust is relative. There are eight laws of trust, which I have observed over the last uh, 14 years of studying trust. Uh, specifically, trust law number three is the trust is personal. So you might do, and, and this is really my idea worth sharing, the same thing, the same behavior that you might do or, or exhibit could cause one person to trust you and another person to distrust you. The, the example that I gave when I talk about that uh, in the, uh, I believe it was the second season of this podcast, when I talked about the personality compatibility, or, or even in the first season when I talked about the third law of trust, I gave the example of uh, two different reviews that students of mine gave me or gave my course on a website called ratemyprofessors.com. One of them gave me one out of five and said that I was awful. The other gave me five out of five and said that I was awesome. And... Given that this was pre-COVID, uh, that class was, I believe, in 2019. So everybody was in class. 
I was the same person. I only teach one class per semester. Those two reviews were given within 10 days. So I have to assume that these two students sat at the same classroom at the same time. I'm saying assume because the, the reviews are anonymous. And I look at these two reviews and I wonder, what, why would one person give me one student, give me five, and another give me one? And that is because they see different things. We're different people. And I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into that because I'm actually going to mention that in this TED Talk and, and you're going to hear about it. But the idea that's worth sharing is that the same thing, the same behavior that you will do could cause one person to trust you and another person to distrust you. The same thing. How is it actionable? You have to look at your trustworthiness one relationship at a time. Being trusted in one relationship does not mean that you are going to be trusted in any other relationship. Trust is relative. To make the TED Talk compelling, you typically have to introduce a personal story or more than one personal story. So I'm obviously going to tell the story about the uh, two students and RateMyProfessors.com, but that's going to be in the core, in the middle of the, the TED Talk. But I wanted to wrap that TED Talk with a story. And so the more I thought about that, the more I thought about the story of Kevin Sweeney. Kevin Sweeney is a friend of mine. And uh, he flew KC-135s, which are our uh, airborne tankers. Uh, so it's really a 707 full with 200,000 pounds of jet A fuel. And you're going to hear more about that at the TED Talk. But the interesting thing was that his story, which, by the way, was featured in the uh, Smithsonian uh, channel air disasters tv series uh in season 16 episode 7 they told his story and it was really kind of fun because i knew his story he told me his story and um i interviewed him for the book of trust so uh this was even in the first the first edition of the book of trust his story and he tells his story and and he he mentions it. He he's a speaker himself, Kevin. Uh, you can find him on www.sweeneyspeaks.com. Sweeney s w e e n e y speaks.com as one word, no spaces, no dashes. And Kevin told his story. I, I actually first met Kevin when uh, he spoke right after I gave a keynote in an event, and. Um, it's an amazing story, uh, his story, and uh, I'm not going to tell you more about that. Uh, you'll hear it in, in the episode itself, in the recording that's going to follow this. And when Kevin told the story, he told it from a perspective of leadership and how to be a leader. But I found a lot of the components of trustworthiness in his story. And, and when I interviewed him and I asked him questions, Kevin himself said that, that I gave him a different perspective of his story. Now, I, I can't just include his story and use his pictures without his permission. So Kevin did give me a very specific permission. He gave me pictures that I used uh, in the TED Talk. But the interesting thing is that 
the flight, the flight that took place on February 6, 1991, during that flight, he was refueling American fighters during Operation Desert Storm. And when he told me that story and, and kind of the dates were interesting, I asked him, as it turns out, those fighter planes were hitting the uh, missile launchers in western Iraq. And those were missile launchers that were shooting Scud missiles at Israel. See, I was on the receiving end of those missiles. And that's how the story starts. That This is how the TED Talk starts. And uh, I, I just have to warn you, right there at the beginning, you're going to hear a siren. This is an air raid siren that I, I used a, um, a sound effect of an air raid and explosions. So... This is not real. Don't don't think that that you're hearing an air raid siren outside of your car or wherever you are uh, listening to this. This is part of the soundtrack. So without further ado, the TEDx talk original soundtrack, The Relativity of Trust. I'm going to take you to January 18, 1991, back in Israel. It's just after 2 a.m., and I woke up to hear this. An air raid siren. And then, an explosion. Another one. And another one. Israel was under attack by Scud missiles from West Iraq. That was the beginning of Operation Desert Storm. And we knew that those rocket launchers, they had to be taken out, and they had to be taken out right now. And as a young 26-year-old member of the Israeli Defense Forces, 35th Airborne, we wanted to get that job, but we didn't. And instead, it was the US Air Force who got the job. Except that fighter planes could not make it all the way from coalition bases in Saudi Arabia to West Iraq. They needed to somehow get fuel. And this is where my friend Kevin comes in. Major Kevin Sweeney, US Air Force, was the pilot of the KC-135. Now, a KC-135 is really a Boeing 707 with four engines and 200,000 pounds of jet A fuel. And on February 6th, his job, just like every day before that, was to refuel fighter planes as they're attacking rocket launchers in Western Iraq. Except that flight on February 6th was not usual. See, 24 minutes after takeoff, his plane flew right into the jet wash of the plane in front of him. And he was starting to lose control over that plane. You remember Top Gun? The first one. When Maverick and Goose flew into the jet wash of another airplane, they lost control, they eventually crashed the plane. Same thing, except Kevin is not flying an F-14. He's flying a KC-135 with 200,000 pounds of jet A fuel. The plane became very hard to control, and all of a sudden, two red lights in the cockpit. Fire in engines one and two. Kevin asked the boom operator to go and eyeball the engines. The boom operator went, looked, 
came back and said, good news and bad news. The good news, there is no fire. The bad news, there are no engines under the left wing. Now, if you lose two engines on a four-engine plane, as long as there are one under each wing, you can control that plane. Not so much if you lose them under the same wing. The boom operator looked at Kevin and asked him, should we bail out? See, a KC-135 actually has a hatch near the cockpit and the crew has parachutes. They can jump out of that plane. Not the jumping over Iraq during Desert Storm is ideal, but neither is crashing with the plane. Should we bail out? Now, every time Kevin told me that story, he was telling me about the noise in the cockpit, but I'm willing to guarantee that at that moment, you could hear a pin drop. And everybody on the crew looked at Kevin, and Kevin said, stick with me, we'll be fine. Now, every member of that crew had to make a decision, and the window of opportunity for that decision was getting pretty small. Do we trust him to land that plane? Would you have trusted him with your lives? I'm going to get back to Kevin's story at the end of my talk today, but I want to make sure that you understand that trust is very important, not only in the cockpit of a KC-135 that lost two engines. Trust is important in the workplace. A workplace with high trust, employees are 76% more engaged, 74% less stressed, 29% more satisfied with their jobs, 50% more likely to tell another friend, come work for this company. The projects in this company are 45% more on time and on budget. The company is 50 to 64% more innovative and productive and delivers 286% more shareholder returns. Trust is important. But trust is a two-person game. See, the level of trust that I have in you is the product of my trustability, my willingness to trust other people and your trustworthiness. And there's almost nothing that you can do about the former and everything you can do about the latter. Your trustworthiness. In 2018, I decided to do a survey. And I asked a very simple question. What is the most important quality for you in other people? And I asked about your boss, your employees, your peers, a salesperson trying to sell you something, your government representative, and your spouse. Three out of 363 people, just under 1%, said that the most important quality for them in another person is, wait for it, good looks. <laughs> I know, right? But the overwhelming majority said with 61.2%, the most important quality for me in another person is their trustworthiness. More than the willingness to work hard, more than the willingness to take risks, more than their intelligence and their good looks. In fact, with 61.2%, it was more than the next four qualities combined. This is how important your trustworthiness is to other people. But what is it that makes you trustworthy? And this is where I'm going to say something you're not expecting. Up until now, we thought that there was a list of things that makes you trustworthy. Check every box in that list and you're gonna be trustworthy. Don't check every box and you're not trustworthy. I agree, competence is important. Would you ever board a plane when the pilot is not very competent in, oh, I don't know, landing? Would you go under surgery with a surgeon who has a higher than average patient mortality rate in their operating room? 
Would you trust a Navy SEAL team sniper who can't hit anything with his rifle beyond 300 yards? Not so much. How about the truth? Would you ever trust somebody who intentionally and knowingly lies to you? Not really. But other than these two, trust is really relative. I'm going to give you an example. Anybody here ever heard of a website called RateMyProfessors.com? When you go to college, you will hear about that. Shira, my younger daughter, who's now a senior in college, one day I saw her signing up for classes. And as she signs up for classes, I noticed that she goes to that website that's called Rate My Professors. And I looked at what's in that website, and what's there is anonymous reviews by students of their professors and their classes. And I thought, this is brilliant. But wait a minute. I'm a professor at SMU. Do I have a page on Rate My Professors? So we looked, and I do. And I looked at the first review, and the first review gave me five out of five. Professor Solomon is awesome. I really enjoyed his class and lectures. He gives good feedback, and his lectures applied to the assignment. He's very clear and gives good direction. Five out of five. I am awesome. <laughs> now, you think I'm showing you this to brag? Well, actually, that was my first reason. But uh, I could show you this to recruit you to my class at SMU. But no, seriously, the reason I'm showing you this is because I want to show you the next review. Get ready for some vulnerability. Mine. This course is mostly about his own accomplishments rather than a broader view of peer-reviewed techniques of success. His attitude was condescending, arrogant, but he's an easy grader. Which is really what's important, right? Why am I showing you these? Because if I put them side by side, and both of them are in 2019 before COVID, and I only teach one class per semester, these two students, and I don't know who they are because this is anonymous, they posted five out of five and one out of five for the same class. I was doing the same thing. I was being the same person. How come? Because two different people can see the same things that I'm doing and consider them five out of five or one out of five. Trust is that way too. Trust is relative. In fact, the same thing that you will do, the same behavior that would cause one person to trust you could cause another person to distrust you. Let me give you an example. Is procrastination good or bad? Any procrastinators here? Nobody ever raises their hand because we think it's bad. Procrastination is not necessarily bad. One of the things that annoys me the most is when I give my students six days to submit an assignment, and you know when they submit it? In the last nine minutes. Even though they know that when you miss the deadline, you get a zero, and I'm pretty critical about that. So is procrastination good or bad? And before you say it's bad, when you procrastinate, when you wait, you get more ideas. Ideas get to incubate in your head. You get to ask more people and get more advice. You get information that didn't exist when you got the assignment in the first, in the first place. So is procrastination good or bad? It's neither. But if you're a procrastinator, Another procrastinator would trust you because they're the same. 
But someone who stresses over deadlines will not. They will not trust you because you cause them stress and because trust is relative. How about risk-taking? If you're a risk-taker, another risk-taker would not have a problem with you. They will trust you. They're the same. But somebody who stresses over risk, someone who does everything in their power to avoid taking risk, would think that you're irresponsible and reckless and not trust you. Why is that? Because we are all different. We're different in our DNA. We're different in where we were born, where we were raised, where we went to school, where we live, and where we work. We're different, and because we're different, we see things differently. Because we're different, one student gave me five out of five, and one gave me one out of five. Because we're different, the same behavior could cause one person to trust me and another person to distrust me, because trust is relative. I owe you the end of Kevin's story. When Kevin said, stick with me, we'll be fine, every member of his crew decided that they trust him. And they stayed with him. And he needed every one of them to do their job so they can land the plane. And land the plane they did without two engines on the, under the left wing. And if you want to know more about that, you can find it in the Smithsonian Channel Air Disaster Show, Season 16, Episode 7, or on Kevin's website. And Kevin loves to talk about, to tell this story, because he is a hero. Here's what I want you to get out of today's talk. Trust is the foundation for everything. The answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal or professional success or failure, are you trustworthy? And I want you to also remember that it's the same thing and the same behavior that can cause one person to trust you and another person to distrust you. Because trust is not absolute or universal. Trust is relative. And because of that, you need to assess your trustworthiness one relationship at a time. May trust be with you. Thank you. This is it, the relativity of trust, my second TEDx talk. I hope you enjoyed it. As a reminder, this was the last episode of season five. This is episode number 12, and every season now has 12 episodes. We will be taking a one-week break after that and then start at the beginning of uh, next month, the beginning of July. We will start with season six. The original topic that was uh, planned to be uh, episode 12, uh, Can Trustworthiness Be Coached? And I'll talk more about the role of the Human Resources Department in coaching and building trust in an organization. I'll make some special announcements. This will all come in Season 6. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. 
write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.